I'm Peyton, and this is the Free Body Podcast, a podcast for every body. Happy New Year, everyone. I'm very excited to start off this new year with Andrea Chenave. We met when Andrea was commissioned to write a play for the Hangar Theater, and I was a company member, lucky enough to be in the same slot. And she ended up writing The Winstons, which is one of the best plays that I've had the pleasure to work on, and I've been following her around ever since. She's not only an incredible playwright, she's a phenomenal TV and film writer for shows like FX's Mayans MC, as well as The Path on Hulu, and she's also a teacher and an activist. Today, she opens up about being put on a diet as a kid, navigating sexism and fat phobia in the 80s and the 90s, and the blending of fitness and activism. Her journey eventually led to her getting gastric bypass surgery, which she'll share a bit about today, as well as that time that she climbed up a mountain in Hawaii and had to make her escape down the stairway to heaven. Finally, this week only, Andrea is generously offering a 15% discount for my listeners for her upcoming class at the end of January. To sign up, go to www.andreachenave.com, A-N-D-R-E-A-C-I-A-N-N-A-V-E-I. Check out her offerings and send her an email, making sure you mention that you're coming from Free Body Podcast. And now, without further ado, this is Andrea. It's tough because I, from the time that I was five, I was 95 pounds when I was five years old. Like I, my weight ballooned very quickly when I was five and my parents were horrified and very abusive about it all. And and so I was made aware of my body very early in a very negative um, sort of light and Mm -hmm. was put on diets and several diets for my entire childhood up until I was 18 years old. Wow. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people who listen, who have weight issues or know someone who has weight issues will understand when I say like, I've lost a hundred pounds several times. You know what I mean? I can diet. I know more about dieting and nutrition than any thin person ever. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just the the facts. So um, my, basically, I would say it's like 80, 20 in the, in, you know, in the favor of negative body image. Um, for my whole life. I do remember like when I was, I think 10, um, I used to go to this daycare and they had a pool. And I remember, you know, when you were a little, at that point, in any case, like little girls didn't have to like wear bikini tops or whatever. Like we just didn't do that. And I didn't have a top on and someone said something to me about it. I didn't know. So after that, I became like very like aware that something had changed. But I, I just do remember that thing of being scolded about it. And then after that, it was like, Okay. And then, you know, I want to say, I think it might've been elementary school. I just stopped wearing bathing suits. I stopped going to the beach. I didn't wear shorts. I didn't do any of that. I just didn't do Mm -hmm. it. I I refused. I don't think I stopped wearing a t-shirt when I was swimming um, or like at pool parties. Those were always, there was always so much anxiety around pool parties for me. And I love swimming, like loved being in water. But yeah, I didn't, I don't, I still don't feel really comfortable in a bathing suit but um no uh, no I don't either but I have to say like I didn't do it for many many years and I like you if I wore a bathing suit in front of you that's how you knew that I loved you because otherwise like right. fucking sorry can I swear <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah, go right. ahead go <laughs> for it go for it <laughs> start dropping bombs. Um, I you know I just refuse to do it but I have to say like my uh, so in 2018 I went 
on my first island vacation. I'd want to go to Hawaii ever since I was a little kid and watch like the Brady Bunch episode. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And my mother was like, we can't go to Hawaii. It's too expensive. And I was like, but I want to go. Anyway, I could finally go. And I went in September 2018 for my first island vacation, my first real vacation anyway, because everything I had ever done has been mostly work related as an adult in any case. So there I stayed in Kailua on Oahu and the beach is so incredibly beautiful there. It's warm. There's no rocks in the beach. It was amazing. And I was like, you're going to go into the water in a bathing suit. You, this is, you're doing this. Like, fuck everyone. Just do it. Fuck you too. Like to myself, (laughs) fuck myself, go into the water and just do it. And I did. And it was wonderful. Now, obviously I wasn't like parading around the beach in a bathing suit with nothing over it. I just can't get there. But there were other people who totally were, and they were no, by no means like thin people. And I was like, God bless you. I am not that person. I never will be. But for me to go into the um, water was a big deal for me. And I went back obviously like the next year, and I had spent a month on um, the big island and I went to this place that they call Narnia, which is a bunch of waterfalls that like run into like the same place outside of Hilo. And, um, and I had this local person, he took me and um, again, I was like, you know, we got into in front of this gigantic waterfall and there's a pool, you know, a place where you can j- dive in if you want to. And again, I was like, oh, I don't want to be in a bathing suit in front of this fucking guy. I had no interest in him. I could care less. But yeah. I was like, I just don't want him to like, I can feel people thinking about my fat ass. Right. So it just, you know what I mean? So yeah. I just was like, just do it. You're here. Like this, like you must. And so I did. And he took a picture of me laughing in the waterfall and it was oh. fantastic. And my friend, Jessica Goldberg, she was like, you have to frame that and put it up on your wall. And I, and I did. It was awesome. Oh, that's amazing. I yeah, love right. that. I love yeah. that. It's those moments of victory in a way. And those moments are just so like, mwah. I love, yes. I love when we find those. Yes. Going back to elementary school, high school, you were dealing with all of this, as you said, 80-20, like negativity coming at you about your body. Um, Were there exercising or or any kind of movement in your body at that time, at that young age that helped you or made you feel better? Or was it all just kind of, you know, uh, trapped in that place of negativity? Well, I mean, I grew up in a neighborhood full of boys in Massachusetts. And so we played sports in the, in the neighborhood, you know, like touch tag, whatever, kickball, football, whatever. Classic. But, you know, it was Massachusetts in the 80s. So it wasn't like nice. <laughs> right. <laughs> was, right. Um, and then in, in an elementary school, like I went to a Catholic school called Blessed Sacrament. And they, you know, gym class, I hated it. I hated fucking yeah. gym class. And they would weigh you in front of everybody. And they oh, make you God. Yeah, no, it was awful. It was awful. <sighs> and like, yeah, I hated it. I hated it. I hated sports. I was like, this is not for me. But I did take um, dancing. I was did ballet, tap, and jazz for, oh. I mean, from the time I was like three years old up until I was 10. And my teacher at the time, her name was Mrs. Pelletier. She, um, she ended up kicking me out because I started skipping classes and like going home and hiding out. And she was oh. like, you know, like, basically it was like too fat to like be in the class anymore. And um, oh my God. Yeah, yeah it wasn't great. Wow. <laughs> but, you know, but listen, like, this is the thing. Like, I don't think people really, I don't know if people get it. I don't know. But like the seventies and the eighties and the nineties mm-hmm. for women in their bodies was fucking trash. It's really like, bad. Like, unmitigated garbage all yes. the time. 
Like yeah. people talk about body positivity and all this other shit. And I'm like, you literally, good for you. I'm glad it's out there. I hope teenagers see this so they yes. know that there's like some other influence in their life besides trash. But people treated girls and women like animals, like nothing. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was disgusting. Yeah. I don't know. I, that, <laughs> I get wild up about this shit. It's like, good. You should. I mean, yeah. And because when I was shopping for plus size clothes as a kid in the 80s, there were none. It was the dress barn and Lane Bryant. And their right. clothes were not, they were not thinking about women in their 20s or women in their teens or girls in their teens, I should say. No, middle-aged women, the clothes were for them and that was it. And it was, it was, I felt completely alone and alienated and just cast aside all the time. When was your first connection with someone else? regarding this experience like whether it's just like how women are treated and how the women's bodies are treated in general or if it was someone else who was also dealing with similar stuff well i have to i was in a i was in a few like eating disordered places you know what okay. i mean like yeah, yeah. i've done a couple of like scientific like studies or whatever i had been hospitalized at one point but it was like me and then 13 anorexics which wasn't great um yeah like i don't understand you're literally 80 pounds shut up (laughs) you know what i mean i just didn't get it but i was also in my defense i was 12 you know yeah yeah like the first time i think my cousin i had a couple of cousins who tried to talk to me about my weight one who never had a weight problem and the other one who did and had gone to oa and she um she tried to talk to me about it also but i think at that point i was just so like insanely traumatized mm-hmm. by everything that was going on that I just I couldn't listen to anybody I couldn't hear I just needed to be left alone I really did yeah. Yeah. um so I think that it wasn't until after college that I went to well at first I went to a nutritionist and then eventually I found a, a 12-step program about food and that's when I actually really started connecting with other people who um had struggled with compulsive overeating and especially um my first like one of the first people um, in my life as a sponsor was, um, a guy named Joe who passed away recently, who had come from it. He was Italian. He came from big numbers like me. And I think that was really the first time that I actually like, you know, connected with somebody about it. But, um, but it was a lot, yeah, like, as you can tell, like, I, you know, I have easy access to a lot of anger. And so I just like really didn't want to hear from anyone about, about anything in terms of my weight and food and stuff like that but it feels like like, feminism like the the whole like women's in their bodies thing like I knew I knew but the problem is like I went to NYU for dramatic writing and I was surrounded by actors and writers who like you know at the time like it wasn't like they were woke in any way (laughs) in the 90s yeah Yeah. no one gave a shit you know what I mean like people were like calling women feminazis was completely normal yeah yeah. Tr- no. Triggered. Yeah. It's <laughs> a triggered yeah. word. If you remember, like, yeah. you no, know, calling women names and whatever was completely fine. Absolutely. And if yeah. you and if you tried to like bring up difficult truths, you were dismissed as a, you know, Debbie as a crazy. Yeah. Crazy person. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, obviously you can't get laid. That's why you're so mad. Like, right. Whatever. Classic. Classic. Ridiculous. Yeah. God, it's crazy watching shows again that I watched in the 90s or shows from the 80s, movies, films, like yeah, all these things. And I'm just watching them today. And it's crazy that that time, you know, that wasn't long ago at no. all. That's no. like actually like so incredibly recent. And yeah. it blows my mind that. I mean, I guess it's, you know, what is that? There's like a saying about 
change and progress and it kind of snowballing. It almost feels like it's snowballing kind of like technology has. Oh, well, that makes absolute sense, right? I mean, you have the burgeoning of the internet. Yeah. And so all of a sudden that democratizes messaging and communication and people who have been largely excluded from the conversation, which is everyone who's not a rich white man, uh, finally has if they want to, uh, an avenue to express themselves. And so you're going to have, you know, differently abled people. You're going to have people who struggle with addictions of various kinds speaking out, you know, like it, it's, it's more available. And so, and to me, that's one of the greatest gifts of the internet. I mean, you know, social media and internet gets a very bad rap, but at the same <laughs> time, like, you know, if, if I think I would have been a very different person, a very different teenager, had I been growing up with, access to those kinds of voices as opposed to what I had at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even for me and I'm I, you know, I remember the 90s. I remember the early 2000s. And I feel like it wasn't it's like it's so in line with technology. The more I'm thinking about it in this moment, yeah. because I think I was one of those girls that was like, I'm not like other girls. Mm. You know, I'm right. I'm to a tomboy or like I can hang I'm or cool. like right. I'm cool. Right. And like that itself is so fucked up. <laughs> it's so well, fucked up to think that like me not being like other girls. It's like, well, what's wrong with other girls? Like girls are great. Girls are actually well, great. Right. But well, but you you and I and everyone else have been brought up. It's like it's, you know, we've, we've been brought up in a patriarchy, right? So you like, like that joke when they talk about like fish swim in water, when you ask them like, how's the water? And they're like, what's water? You know, like you don't, you don't know what you don't know, right? right. So it's like, we've grown up in white supremacy. We've mm -hmm. gr and, and with right, white supremacy comes patriarchy and comes misogyny. Those two yeah. things are inextricably linked. And so you have been brought up being told that women are just not great or not as great as men subtly not subtly whatever it is but those messages are persistent and they're like ubiquitous so of course you don't want to be considered like a girly girl you know what i mean to dismiss and put on the side who's like not useful for anything you want to be like you want to be down you want to hang out you want to be as good as a guy so right. of course of course you would want that you know yeah. what i mean who wants to be the person that nobody wants <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Who wants to be discarded? Nobody. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, and I always linked it. Like, I thought that my thinking of that changed. Like, it wasn't, you know, like it was more out loud at a younger age. And then as I grew older, like my early adult years, you know, it was mm. still there, but I wouldn't say it out loud, I guess. Mm. Like, it wasn't as obvious. And then when I was in grad school, and I was sharing a space with like this these same incredible women every day. I thought that's actually when it started to shift for me when I was realizing like what how important sisterhood like yeah. to use to use that phrase um, was. And and I actually think it's really also linked to access to information. The more I think about it and like having platforms and being able to express myself and read other people's blogs yeah. and live journals and like all those things, you know. Well, yeah. And I think it's like, I mean, also add to that, like you have a lot of like wonderful, you know, women authors right now um, who are like standing in, in their power, like in a major way, like Rebecca Tracer and, and all these activist ladies who've been writing books. And I mean, it, it, I could go on. There's so many, but that's so the many. thing. Like, they are they are out front now and they're saying 
shit and it's their rabble rousers and thank God, you know, and I think that that sort of like wakes people up. And also I think Me Too had a huge shift for people Mm -hmm. um, that was like very painful for everyone, but it definitely, um, it definitely put, I think it definitely put me and everybody else I know in a reflective mood Mm -hmm. to look back at the dynamics that we were in, in the nineties and the early aughts and seeing them in a different way. Yeah. And realizing like, oh, we drank Kool-Aid. Yeah. Yeah. We drank the fucking Kool-Aid. We yeah. did. And we didn't have a, and I, you know, I at, no at that point, to, yeah, there's no choice. Well, it's no, like, no fucking choice. No. We're fish, <laughs> we're fish in the water. We don't know that there, what water is. But it also, like, if you want, if you want to, a seat at the table, you have to buy in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you have to buy in with a certain set of rules right. that are totally unspoken. Right. And, and to a certain extent, I feel like that's still something that, of course like, it is. I've done intimacy scenes in things that we're never going to see the light of day before, like mm-hmm. in indie films or indie short films. And so I was like, OK, well, this is the first time that my body is going to be prominently displayed, like on on oh, camera God. for right. eternity. Who knows where this video will actually end up? Like, it's going to be mm-hmm. everywhere forever. And I just <laughs> sitting there like, oh, and this is after, you know, eight months of quarantining and or seven months, whatever it was. And I was just like, and I have a couple weeks to feel confident enough in my body where I can just act in the scene and not worry about what I look like on camera the whole time. But I actually think the thing that got me through the whole experience was my body by no, you know, is imperfect. And that is perfect in itself. Our bodies are great and they are the shape they're supposed to be, you know, and just realizing that how much it's, how meaningful it's been to me to see uh, a different body type on camera been yeah. being shown has affected me so deeply as a woman of like, mm-hmm. oh, other shapes are mm-hmm. great and beautiful yeah. and it's mm-hmm. okay and we don't all have to look the same. So the, the idea that I could, like I could have gone to a dark place and like really lost a lot of weight and looked a certain way for this scene um, to play that game because mm-hmm. it still feels like that's pre- present in our society for in sure. a big way. Yeah. But instead I was like, well, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do healthy things I'm gonna, so that I feel good about, like, I feel confident in my body, but I'm going to look at this as if I'm representing my body type for someone else out there who's maybe has an experience like I do and, and is going to hopefully see me on camera and not think, oh, wow, yeah, I see her love handles or whatever it is. And right. I'm actually just like, hey, that's a, that's my body. Right. And that, like, how much that, how meaningful that is to me to even see, like, my body type in art. Oh, my God. It, like, yeah. it, it, it's amazing how deeply and effective that is and, and meaningful, especially today. And in our own kind of activism in ourselves, like, nope, this is actually yeah. what I'm going to do. Right. I'm going to do something different. Yeah. I mean, and to me, it's like, you know, a lot of my sort of programming about how I look and my viability to men or whatever society at large has that began with um, my, with my upbringing completely. Mm-hmm. And you, there's only so much of that you can like undo that. It's always going to be there. Um, and so you have to kind of learn how to do a dance with it. You know, what, like, what are some things that you've found that have helped you kind of navigate that? Well, I mean, I've been in therapy for a hundred thousand years. I've been in therapy for a really yes. long 
Yes, therapy. So yes. I everybody, I don't give a shit what you say about your family or anything ever. Mm-hmm. I just must go to therapy. Everybody. <laughs> Everyone should. Everyone should. Everyone should. Um, it's a rule. It's a rule. No, it is yeah. a rule with me. And I actually like, you know, like if I ever met someone who's, uh, you know, like a guy or whatever, and they were like, I've never been to therapy. I would not date them. <laughs> same, same. I literally said the same thing. Like, no. Oh yeah. Like four years ago, I came to that. I was like, nah, if you're going to date no. me, you got to get your ass in therapy. Before you first date, I want to know what your politics are. Yeah. And I want to know if you've been to therapy. And if yeah. you don't answer those correctly, it's like, don't, I'm not going to waste your time. Yeah. Because I'm not going to let you waste mine. Amen. But anyway, um, therapy has been a huge help. Going to 12-step programs, I've been in them for a very long time, since 2004. And not just for food, there's other things, you know, that came around that too. And so doing that work, and that is actual work, like it's beyond like going to meetings, which I did a lot of, but it's also like doing the actual step work. Um, around each of those programs and so I did that and then a lot of it is just like you know like looking at the looking at what the facts are it's like I can say oh you know people think this about me or or I'm this or I'm that you know I'm a piece of shit or I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna be successful in anything but then it's like well all right well let's look at the facts like what has your life been like what are the things you did do what are the jobs you did get how who are the boyfriends you've had you know what I mean like it's like that sort of like siege mentality and like catastrophic thinking you know like for me it's always like you're going to end up in a van down by the river like that stuff you know it's like that fear i think everyone has it to some degree everyone feels like they might not be good enough and the particulars of that um maybe change between people but i think that that fear is there and you kind of just have to like learn how to not marry the marry it don't marry it Right. You know what I mean? Right. And, and I think you get to that place by meditating, by, you know, as I said, going to therapy, going to 12-step meetings, you know, and and, and you can talk about like, you know, th- those things are like, some of that stuff is like dependent on how much money you make and if you right. have insurance and all those, you can talk about that stuff too. Yeah, it's connected. Yeah. And honestly, age, you couldn't pay me to go back to my 20s. I would never, my 20s and my teens, like, fuck, keep it. I don't ever <laughs> want to go back that. I, like, yeah. My life didn't get good until I was like 33. And then it, it just got better. I'll, you know, I'll make an exception for the age of 38 and 39. Like that was trash. And last year sucked too. But aside from that. What about this year? This year? Well, this year, you know, like, look, obviously the world is on fire. It's terrible. Things are awful. But at the same time, like I made a decision when this pandemic happened because with me um, and I think with people who do have like major weight problems, when anything goes wrong, that's exactly when you gain weight. You yes. Eat, like, and you don't even know what you're doing with the food. It's like a weird disconnect. Anyway, I just was like, one thing that is not going to happen to me in this pandemic is I am not gaining weight. I am not using food. I'm not gaining weight. I'm not going to let this motherfucker get the best of me. Mm-hmm. I'm not giving Trump my fucking sanity. It's not yeah. happening. It's just it, like, that's it. <laughs> and I just was very, very strict about that. So... I just like, I ran, I work out, I, you know, measure my food, I write it down. I do like, I did what I'm supposed to do. And just, you know, I mean, I have a trainer and she, she works with me CrossFit. CrossFit. It's like, CrossFit stuff. Okay, it's like a mix of different things. It's not only CrossFit, but yeah. I mean, I, we worked out in a CrossFit gym uh, until the pandemic hit. And so right. now I have a, I have a CrossFit cage in my garage and I have weights and a barbell and a kettlebell and a rowing machine. And yeah. 
Do you still get to do training with her like over Zoom during this? Yeah, she basically, she emails me like four workouts per week and then I do them. Awesome. And then I run also, yeah. Getting the fuckets, like that's really easy to like kind of fall into. And for a person who does not have food issues, they can get away with that. They can put on 10 pounds and then lose it and probably be fine. I don't stop at 10 pounds. I'll end up a hundred pounds heavier. Like that might, like my, my situation is not like normal people. Mm-hmm. And so I can't afford to be like, I just sat on my ass for seven months. I can't, yeah. I can't. Because it also takes me to a place that I, you know, I, I was 300 pounds by the time I turned 40. I had gained, I had lost a bunch of weight in 2009. I'd quit smoking, gained a lot of weight back. And I was really having a hard time getting it off. And by the time I was 39, um, I was 300 pounds again and I was like, I cannot do the next 10 years of my life like this. I won't make it. I won't make it. I'll like, I'll kill myself. And, and I wasn't being like hyperbolic. I was serious. And so I just, um, I don't know, like I, like I woke up every day for three weeks being like, oh, you know, this thought was like, oh, you should get a gastric bypass. And it was a foreign thought for me because I didn't believe in gastric bypasses. I felt like it was cheating. and. I should lose the weight the right way, la la la. Right. Which I had already done 10 times at least. So for three weeks that happened. And then I was like, you know what? Just why don't you just make the appointment, go see the surgeon, see what happens, see if your insurance will even let you do this. And if it rolls out, then do it. And that's exactly what happened. And then I I did it. So your insurance covered it? My insurance covered most of it except for $3,000. So I had to pay that. And then, yeah, it covered my surgery. That's amazing. That's amazing. Very lucky, yeah. I'm curious about what was that transition period where you were like, no, this is actually what I need to do for me. Well, first of all, it was talking to my, talking to the surgeon because I said, I walked in there and I was like, I feel like I started crying because I was like, I feel like a failure. I don't want this surgery, but I feel like I have no other choice. I've done everything. I've tried everything. And I, I'm at my wits end with this shit. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, you know, um, he was very nice about it. He was like, look, of course, everyone could eat better. Everyone could do the thing. Like, that's true, fine. But that's not where things end with people like you. Like, yeah. your physiology, your metabolism is not working properly. It just doesn't. And it's really true. Because what I have to lose, what I have to do to lose 10 pounds, you would lose 30. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah, it's just yeah. how it's it different. is. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was like, and as you get older, um, and what they what they've discovered in scientific studies, he said this to me. He was like, "Your body fights you in losing weight. It doesn't want you to. It wants to hold on to the weight. So you are constantly. That's why they say it's a battle, a battle with a bulge or whatever. It's literally that. So he was like, you know, I think that you should be easier on yourself about this and know that it's not like it's not your fault. It's not all your fault. It's not a, a failing of your willpower or of your whatever, uh, you know, it's like, it's kind of like what in early, the early days of alcoholism where people would moralize it, they would call alcoholics just like depraved people. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the same thing with weight. Like people look at fat people and I mean, you know, it's the, the way they talk about fat people is horrendous and and it always goes back to well if you just tried harder and you if you really wanted to lose the weight it's like the fucking arrogance and the ignorance is it makes me crazy it makes yeah. me crazy and but anyway um so what happened to me was like and what what i realized during the before i even had the surgery 
first of all, they were like, we love the fact that you've been in therapy for as long as you have and you've been in a way like you understand the, like, the things. Because when you get the surgery, it's not like you can go and eat whatever you want. Right, right. Yeah. It's not magic. Mm-hmm. No, it's not magic because you will, if you try to eat the way you did, you will end yourself up in a hospital. Like you, it's really bad. Yeah. So that's off the table. You have to measure your food. You have to pay attention to what you're eating. You cannot eat anything, anything you want anymore. Like all of the things that I had to do before, I still had to do. I still had to measure. I still had to write it all down. I still turned it over to my sponsor and it worked. And, and there was a big fear, you know, like I think it's like 80% of people who get the surgery gain their weight back. And I was terrified that I was going to be that. I was terrified it wouldn't work. And it's been five years later and I've still kept a hundred pounds off. I'm, you know, I, I went, I lost 120 pounds. I gained 20 pounds back two years ago and I'm now I'm losing it again. But literally I, I will take having to lose 20 pounds over having to lose 120 any day of the week, because even though I have to lose weight, I still can deadlift 195 pounds. I can run four miles. I used to smoke for 30 years. I can do, I, today I just did a hundred, um, sit-ups with a 15 pound weight. You know what I mean? Like I, like my body is able to do so many things that I couldn't do, um, two years ago. So it's what the way that it was presented to me was that this surgery is a tool. Yeah. It's not a cure. It's not a miracle. It's not, a, it's not any of those things. It is a tool among many. So I sort of just reminded myself of that and, and it helped. And I have to say like after the surgery, man, like, I don't know, it, it was like, it was kind of magical because when I first had the surgery, I, I had never known what it felt like to not be hungry. It just never, I didn't never knew what it was like. I never knew what it was like to even be full. It just didn't exist right. for me. And now I did. And I would look at people's portion sizes and without judging them, I'd be like, oh my God, that is entirely too much food. Because I was eating like this, you know, like two ounces of this, three ounces of that, and then I would be done. Um, So, and then there was like certain food that, I mean, beforehand, I could eat whatever. I could eat anything. I never had a wrought iron stomach, like my father in that way. And now it's like, I can't mess with um, yogurt. I can't mess with ice cream. Really not too much. I can't, um, brie cheese. Eh, not really. So dairy pretty much kind no, of anything with super high fat. Ah, got it. I okay. can do like mozzarella. I can do like other things, mm-hmm. but there's certain foods that just are not new and certainly not like any like sweets. Like I can do like a bite or two. Uh-huh. Um, but it's, you're playing with fire. So, yeah. and it's, but honestly, it's like some of it's a physical reaction. So I just don't put myself through it. Um, alcohol, like I can drink wine, you know what I mean? But that's really it. But other things were just like my brain, something happened. It just was like, oh, that's gross. I don't want to eat that. Yeah. It was wild. That's so interesting. Do you know, can you actually talk about what happens physically when you're getting gastric bypass, like to the body, you're yeah. shrinking the stomach, right? Yeah. So I got what is called a ruin Y. So what they do is they, so everyone's stomach naturally is the size of a football. Uh huh. They made my stomach into the size of an egg. Wow. That's yeah. very little. And then they would, they cut a section of your intestine and remove it. And so then your, your, the food is just moving through your um, system much quicker. Yeah. Um, and so, but one of the side effects is that you will lose weight, but also um, you don't absorb as much nutrients as you did beforehand. So I have to take vitamins for the rest of my life, which is fine. I mean, there's certain things that like, it's like, 
I'll say this. I've watched people in my family be senior citizens um, and be over 300 pounds. And that to me is a fate worse than death because it is painful, it is hard, it is humiliating. It is it just like this disease just sucks the life out of you slowly until you literally die. So I was like, I'm, I can't, I'm not going through that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll deal with a lot in order to avoid that. You know what I mean? So yeah. taking vitamins every day is fine. Worth it, worth <laughs> you know it, yeah. I mean? so, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's what literally happens to the body. I'm just interested in, yeah, why, why that's changed like cravings in a way. Is it just your body kind of senses? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I actually don't know because what I was told is that, um, usually when people have the surgery, they get very depressed afterwards because they can't eat the way they want to uh-huh. or the way they used to. It, it's, it's super restrictive. And it's not like it's restrictive and you're hungry. It's you just do not want to eat for a while. It goes on for a while. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen to me after the surgery. I assumed like, well, maybe I'll get depressed because they said that's what happens a lot. And right. it was not the case at all. Um, I was up in like, they did, a la- they did it laparoscopically on me. I was up, like, as soon as I woke up, they brought me up to my room. I was up and walking to the bathroom by myself with, like, within hours. Wow. And then I was walking around the next day, and they sent me home. And for a week, I was walking, like, two miles a day. I had no pain. I had, like, very, actually very minimal pain. Um, and now you can't even tell. I don't have scars, nothing. I had no – there were no issues. It was wild. That's <laughs> incredible. Yeah. And so – but after the surgery, then it becomes, like – you learn how to re-eat kind of like a baby, you know? So first you start off with like broth, then mm-hmm. you go into darker broths, then you go into like applesauce, then you go into ground meat and lentils. And for a long time, you know, you can only eat very, very little. And if you eat a bite too much, you'll end up barfing. But Oof, this, yeah. so that it's a little bit of a gauge, but you can feel it. You can feel like, oh, I'm done now. Okay. Um, and then as time goes on, you can eat more. I still can't, I'm nowhere near what I used to be able to eat. Cannot do it. You yeah. know, and that's great. Like it means like I haven't stretched out my stomach, you know, I've, you know, it's five years out. I'm very grateful. Very grateful. So that, I mean, I don't know if that like helps you, but that's basically. It does. Yeah. Well, I ask because I did, so I don't know how I feel about juice cleanses. I really don't. I, <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of questions about, Lots of juice cleanses, but I did do this one that was like a vegan superfood cleanse. And that, for whatever reason, it's like 10 days and they give you, you know, these basically like three times your amount of vegetables that you would normally be getting in a day. You're drinking that in a shake that they give you. Right. You drink this shake three times a day. And I was taking amino acid pills for protein as a supplement, which I still take um, occasionally. And and then like eating a very small amount of some kind of fresh food that was approved on this list. So like berries or avocado, whatever. It was very restrictive. But I was like and I was so anti cleanse, like this whole cleanse culture thing. But I had a couple friends that this yoga studio was working at doing it. And I was like, ah, screw it. I'll just try it. If I hate it, I'll stop. Like, I'm just curious, like what the hell this is about. And then by the end of the, the 10 days. I did it. I made it through this freaking cleanse. Um, And I still don't know how I feel about this cleanse. But I will say that it totally did alter my cravings. And like I after that, I used to never like dark chocolate. After Mm. that, I love dark chocolate. I used to hate tomatoes. Now I love tomatoes or I can at least eat them in things. Yeah, like changed. It altered a lot of weird stuff. And it also like made me excited about 
vegan food in a different way. And so it changed my it ended up being like this catalyst for me to just start eating healthy foods and and in a way that I could manage. Um, So in that sense, very positive experience. I've done it two more times since then, like one I did once last year and or the year before, and uh, it did not have as great an effect. So I feel like it was kind of this thing that I just needed to show me like as an initial thing. Yeah. And then once I figured out what was working for me, I just didn't, my body maybe just doesn't need it anymore. I don't really know. Well, I, I mean, I've never been on a cleanse because I just find them to be ridiculous and I, they're very yes. triggering. I would like this would be so triggering. So triggering. Like, yeah. like absolutely not. No, 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 no. Yeah. And you know, but I can understand what you're saying in the sense of like, it's kind of like when you go and you, you let go of sugar and Mm-hmm. flour for a while like it does um it opens up your purview um to include other things yes, um, yes. You know what I mean? like beside just because you know it's like once you start eating carbs and sugar that's what your body craves and that's all of a sudden that becomes the only thing that you want right. um so you have to kind of interrupt that right so i get that what is one of the happiest moments that you've had with your body? I will say, again, it was in Hawaii two years ago, first trip there to Oahu. There is a thing called the Stairway to Heaven, which is this ridge in Oahu that it's a set of stairs that the that the army built in um, before or or before or during World War Two. And it goes it's like 4000 steps that go up a mountain. And at the top, there is a bunker with a communication thing, like a big dish or whatever. Um, and so it, that going up those stairs though, is illegal because it's on the, I think the department of water is property or whatever. So people will try to climb it like at three in the morning. And I was like, I'm not fucking doing that. That's ridiculous. (laughs) But there's a hike that goes, that goes, uh, starts on the other side of the ridge, but that one is a five hour hike. And I, I did no research on what it was. <laughs> I didn't know fuck all about this hike. I signed up, you know, get an experience on Airbnb. And so I did it. The pictures looked amazing. They looked fucking rad. I was like, I need to do this. So I was like, I can walk for five miles. That's no problem. Because I, I already ran a half marathon. You know what I mean? Like, I can do it. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. So I go. And I was with... I'm not even shitting you. I was with seven. Um, I think there was one guy who was 40 and the rest of them were like these people, these kids, they were in their twenties from like fucking Switzerland. You know what I mean? Like they grew up climbing the Alps. They're like, climbing those Alps. Yeah. They're all, yeah. yeah. So, so they're all talking about how the night before they were like eating pizza and getting drunk and smoking smoking cigarettes and they're running up this hike. And I was like, you are all. It's not fair. All of you suck. I hate you all, whatever. But I was very nice to them, whatever. I just kept, I kept my thoughts to myself, but I was very jealous. So I, so we had to walk through 17 fucking rivers because it was raining too. So it, like the, the day of the hike, it was raining. It was foggy. It was not a great time, like in terms of weather, but I was like, we're doing it. So we walked through seven, I think it was like 17, um, like flowing rivers and we climb up this fucking ridge. And for the first two miles, it was pretty, like the grade was like not very steep. But then towards the end, the last like, say the last like mile and a half was um, 
straight up where and they had ropes that you had to like vertically climb up right and you get to the top of the ridge of this mountain and you're looking out at the ocean and hawaii like it's really high up <laughs> and the ridge is like two feet wide oh my God. and the wind is fucking blowing and it's foggy in their cloud we're, we're above the clouds so I look down, like I'm on this ridge and I see the bunker, it's like a hundred feet away from me. And on either side, right, it's two feet wide. Either side is a straight drop. Like if I fall, I'm, I'm going to die. So I was like, oh my God. So I get on my ass and I'm like, and it's raining and muddy again. I was covered in mud. I was like, mm. I was like scooting over to the thing. And we finally get to the bunker and it, had, it was like graffiti and there were other groups that were up there too. And they were all young because old people cannot do this. So they were like, we were eating like and people were eating and my stomach was like absolutely not i couldn't no. eat it. no and then there was this um guy from paris who came up to me and he was like are you going back down the way that that we came he was from another group and i was like i don't think i can i don't think i'll make it if i go back down this way. i think i'm going back down the stairs and he was like he was like my girlfriend you know, she's really upset. She's freaking out. And I look at his girlfriend and she's maybe 110 pounds fat on, like she's 110 pounds. Like that's her on a fat day. Like she's tiny, tiny. And she was covered in, she was wearing a cotton t-shirt and fucking Keds oh, on a no. hike. <laughs> it is raining and freezing. Oh, <laughs> like, no. Shivering. She was so upset. So he was like, we were like, all right, we're just going to go down the stairs. And he was like, well, but are Hawaiian cops nice? I'm like, I have no idea. I was like, I'm just going to take my chances. And if they find me a thousand dollars and tell me to come back, then I will. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's like I don't want to, but I will. Right. We climbed down 4,000 stairs. I'll send you the pictures. They're unreal. Please. 4,000 st steps. And then we end up in like a bamboo forest. And we had seen, there was a cop waiting for us down there, but I think he oh. kind of left because there were literally 15 of us who were like, we're not going back down the rainy steep way. You know? Yeah. The so cops like fine. Yeah, they're like fuck <laughs> it. Like we'll be nice. So then we were like in this muddy bamboo section of the forest, and I'm like slip sliding away, and then we find, and then we keep walking, and I finally see road. So I'm like, all right, I'm out. This is where I go. And I got on the road. The rest of them came, and then we kept walking, and we finally hit this like fence that was like there was a neighborhood on the other side. And there was a, we came upon this gate that was locked. And then underneath the gate, there was about a foot maybe under it was a gutter. And there was a big pit bull barking at us. And we got in the gutter and just like shimmied under the gate. And then we called a fucking Uber and they came up. And the guy, the guy knew where, he found out where we were, where we were. He was totally prepared. He had plastic in the fucking trunk for us. He's like, I pick people up here all the time. It happens all the time. <laughs> French people, they were like, can you hit, like, I handled everything because they were French, they don't speak English. And I gave the guy like a $30 tip and I was like, thank you so much. I'm sorry for like, you know, messing up your car. He's like, no, no problem. It's great, whatever. And so that whole experience was like, it was wonderful. Mm. I'll never do it again. Yeah. But it was fantastic. You know what I mean? And then afterwards, I researched the, the ridge and the, you know, the stairway to heaven. And I was like, I don't believe I fucking did this hike it's literally one of the hardest hikes i think around or something they had video of these crazy people on a on a makeshift swing swinging over the ridge oh like my people god have been airlifted out of there people have oh. been hurt seriously yeah my god i had no clue but you know i was like you did it but i did it and that's the thing like i you know i was i've been doing things for the last five years that i really couldn't do 
or wouldn't do or didn't feel comfortable to do up to that point. And, and some of that too was about money and access and all that, which I you know, was poor for a really long time. So right. I'm catching Preach. up. Yeah, <laughs> you know <laughs> and yeah it's amazing the things that we can do with our bodies when we're not when we aren't given the chance to say no to something like I feel like if I had gotten all the information about that hike I'd be like I could I could not do that totally but not knowing you just do it you have no other choice it's like I'm just gonna do the next okay this is the next rope I have to climb up <laughs> right right it's you gotta be in the moment but it was so cool because I had been working with a trainer for two years before that. So I knew that I could lift myself up a rope. I've been doing it, you know what I mean? Right. There were all these things that I was like, oh, I, yeah, this is fine. So I'll move us into the tea section, if you're ready. Oh yeah. Um, we're gonna talk about the blending of activism and fitness. I'm curious about the blend of those things because there was another article on Esquire about, which I find really fascinating, that the farther extreme on the political spectrum you are, so if you're if you're leaning super right or if you lean super left, mm-hmm. you tend to lead also a more active lifestyle, which mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting because they were equating or they were talking about how apathy in general, uh, mm-hmm. mentally, leads mm-hmm. to apathy physically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really interesting. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts of that and also like if you have any ideas about fitness activism, like what you think that should be, what what the industry should be doing. I think it's like, so the way that I, when you say fitness activism, the way that I've seen it or experienced it is in the following ways, like, you know, yoga, Obviously there's like a thing with white women sort of taking over the industry and like yep. how to decolonize that and sort of offering, you know, talk, ha- having those conversations. So that's mm-hmm. one thing. There's also like yoga initiatives that make it, make classes of, accessible to people who can't afford 20, $25, whatever, every time right. to, go to yoga. Um, and they also do things like, um, you know, you can work for the studio and then you go, take as many classes as you want, whatever. So there's those things that are, that are cool. I, um, you know, I think that part of the issue, it's a big part of the issue is people do not have access to healthcare across the board yeah. and they should. Yeah. And people do not have um, expendable income for things like a gym and a trainer and this and that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it gets really hard um, to do it on your own. I mean, I've tried to do it on my own and, yeah. you know, had some success, but not, but not permanently. Right. I could never have afforded a trainer before, you know? Um, so I think that, you know, I, you know, I actually have had the thought in my past, like, you know, if I had like Shonda Rhimes money, I'd like create like, you know, scholarships for people who are like trying to lose weight and buy them the things that they need in order to do it. Um, including therapy. Um, <laughs> yeah, always. So, yeah. So I think like in terms of, activism like i know like in like at least within activist circles there is this idea of self-care right we hear that a lot and part of that is taking care of your actual self like your body your spirit your your mind you know mm-hmm. um and i actually heard um there was a um a podcast gaslit nation did an interview with Tim- timothy snyder a couple of weeks ago 
Uh-huh. He had apparently he wrote a new book called Our Malady, I believe it's called. And he, because um, he had a near death experience, he got very sick um, abroad. And he was talking about, he actually was equating like, you can't have, you know, he was, he, what he was saying was like, Americans have this idea of freedom. We're always talking about our freedoms and first right amendment, second amendment, whatever, the, all of these things. We, we think it's this esoteric philosophical ideology. Yeah. He's like, but actually it's physical because if you don't have your health, you don't have freedom. freedom if you, yeah. can, you can't speak, if you're intubated, you don't have first right, first amendment rights. You don't have the right to assemble if you can't walk anywhere because you're stuck in a hospital bed. You know, like yeah. the, it's, it's these things that actually give you access to freedoms, right? So if people are, and people in this country, and there's been plenty of you know, articles about this, is that our, our system, our way of operating is killing us. Our, our, our um, what do you call it? Mortality rate has gone down for the first yeah. time in decades, right? Yeah. Our, you know, capitalism kills, literally. Yes. <laughs> so like, yes. <laughs> you know, if you cannot, um, if you don't have your needs met, then you're living under constant crisis. And if you're living, living under constant crisis, you can't really be effective in any way. And you can't really be present for anything going on in the civics realm because you're too busy dealing with all of these fires that you have to put out, put out in your own life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a lot of empathy for people that like really just, they're doing the best they can, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think like, to me, what would be wonderful is if people could like, you know, the sort of diet like industry is predatory and they are I, diabolical and they don't help. So for me, it, it's like, I would love to see um, trainers really like concertedly make an effort to outreach to um, people that don't, that can't afford them otherwise. And yeah. find like, let's find out ways that we can like pay them for their time. Cause I'm not into like, you know, exploiting labor either, but you know, find ways to like compensate them, but also give access to these things to, to people who would want it. Yeah. And, and then also, you know, working with people in terms of like maintaining the commitment that it requires to, like you, you have to stay in the game no matter what you just have to. Um, it does not matter what is going on in life at all. Like, you know, obviously that's like, you know, some t- couple of days, maybe, you know what I'm saying? But, but the making your physical um, health and just like getting out those stresses that has to be a priority. And literally that's literally what's gotten me through the past three and a half years. If I'd been sitting on my ass and not like working out at all, dealing with this fucking guy, mm-hmm. like, come on, no way, no way. Yeah. Wouldn't make it. You know, it's just, it's just a, you know, you, we all have, we all carry pain and emotions in our body. So the body needs a way to like express that. The darker thing I was going to say is that I think that people on the right and the left are preparing for war. <laughs> but that those people exist yeah they do. they're a fucking thing you know what i mean I know. And, I, I... and the the thing that's crazy is like i get it i get i get the 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 terror and like the hyper vigilance that they are operating under you know they imagine themselves they're gonna be fucking rambo or something <laughs> which is hilarious right but then there's also if you know like i've been to a lot of like um anti-racist um you know protests and sometimes like someone will get on the mic who's like you know starts preaching veganism and telling people to get off the poison of like mcdonald's and things like that like there's there's a lot of like political thought in terms of like there's crossover yeah there is crossover and and one example i'll give you too 
is actually when I went up to Standing Rock in 2016, 20, yeah, time has lost all meaning. But anyway, <laughs> I went there to bring supplies and shit. And I stayed at the, there was a casino hotel down the street from the camp, right? So I stayed there. And in the bathroom, there was a, a container where you put your sharps for diabetics, for diabetics. They were in the hotel room. Like that's how prevalent diabetes is in the, on the reservation. Right, right. And I didn't understand until I went back to the camp on one of the days and went to all the kitchens and got like shopping lists from them. And I was like, they, they needed, you know, supplies for their kitchens. And I was like, where's the closest um, grocery store? And they were like, oh, it's in Bismarck, 50 miles away. Wow. So to Holy. get food that isn't junk food, it's 50 fucking miles away. Um, and if you are someone who does not have expendable income, 50 miles is a lot of gas. Yeah. Right. And then how much, how much, like, how can you make, how much does that stretch for food? You know what I mean? It's anyway, all linked. It's it. all linked. It's linked. I didn't know what a food desert was. I thought Harlem was bad where you couldn't get a fucking tomato in the late nineties, early aughts. But this was something else. I'm like, there's no food here. Yeah. <laughs> and so you have the choice of like, eat these ding-dongs, whatever the fuck in the, in the plate, like, you know what I mean? Where you live. Yeah. Right. Or travel 50 miles for, with money you don't have. Yeah. God, it's yeah. unbelievable. It is and it isn't because like we know intellectually and we know these things. And like you were saying, like being there and actually seeing it is a completely different thing. Completely. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know about food deserts or food justice or any of that until Occupy Wall Street came around mm. and I was involved with them. So 2011, that's the first time I ever heard of it. I just thought like, oh, Harlem is, you know, everyone treats Harlem like shit. That's why you can't get like good vegetables there. When I was, I was living there from 98 to 2013. And in the early days, there wasn't shit there, you know? Yeah. Um, people were neglected and they were abandoned by their government right. <laughs> and by industry, you know what yeah. I mean? So if you, if they don't even think like black people are worth like a fresh tomato, yeah. what else aren't they worth? You know what I mean? Like, right, right. Part, like the basic things, you're not even like, they're, they're not even de deserving of basic shit. You know what basic I mean? Basic needs are not being met across right. the board. Yeah. Intentionally. Yeah. The final segment, I call it the cherry on top, just basically because it's about. Also, have you have you noticed that I've named every segment after? Yeah, some I love it. Meal food <laughs> thing. Yeah, so love yeah. food. Food's important. We need to get over <laughs> our stigmas surrounding food. But um, so the cherry on top is just any kind of parting wisdom that you have, or if it's a piece of advice that you've had that has really affected you or made a difference in your life that you would just like to pass on. You know what, it, like people have always told me from the time I was a little kid that you have to want to lose weight for yourself. Hmm. And I did, I'm like, I don't even like, I don't even know what that means. You know what I mean? But I think what happened is I did, I did a lot of work on myself and my outlook on life and how I handle guilt and shame and making amends for mistakes that I make, um, all that stuff. Um, that helped me a great deal because it helped me, you know, showing compassion for myself or empathy for myself without sliding into self-pity is, you know, it's uh, definitely a practice. It's not something that comes easily to me. So the more that I've been able to like be sort of easy without permissive or enabling myself, the, the more likely I am to stick with this thing, you know what I mean? And it really did become about like 
just finally being free of what other people think about me. And this is like something that's not perfect or solid or 100% all the time. But I swear to God, like I turned 44, something happened, I don't know what happened. But it was literally like, I don't give a fuck. I just don't- They call it the fuck at 40s. Yeah, Yeah, just go away. Like, I don't care what you think. I don't give a shit, even even, even to myself. You know what I mean? Like, just stop it. Like, Like, the living under this, in a prison of people, places, and things, and wanting to be liked and loved, those are natural desires. Of course, if we all want to be liked and loved, but it actually has to start with yourself. If you don't like or love yourself, why should anyone else do the job for you? You know what I mean? So it really has to start there. And you have to be your own best advocate. You have to be like, you know what I mean? It's like Beyonce said it, you have to be your own best friend. It's fucking true. It's actually true. You know what I mean? Because there's so many things and people out there who say they love you, who are the same people who are saying you can't do this, you're not good enough for that. Like they're always naysaying. You know what I mean? So you have to be the one who is counteracting that with belief in yourself and believing in yourself in a way that's not like I'm never going to be a world class athlete. That's not the point. You know what I mean? I'm doing the best that I can do. That for me, like from where I come from, I've come a million miles. You know what I mean? And that has to be okay. I think it it comes down to just like as much as possible letting go of perfectionism and letting and and not giving people um, power over you, period. They don't deserve it. They don't know what to do with it. It's not for them. You know what I mean? It's for you. And I think women in particular need to be told that um, every single fucking day. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like every day, like that's, that's the facts. Those are the facts because how much time have I spent worrying about, oh, does this guy like me? Did this guy think I'm cute? Does anyone think I'm pretty? Like, it's just so fucking annoying and boring. And how much, like all of that time and energy could have been spent better doing other things. for listening. Again, please take advantage of that 15% discount for Andrea's upcoming class by going to her website, www.andreachenevay.com. And don't forget to mention that you're a free body podcast listener. And of course, as we wind down on season one of this podcast, please remember to subscribe, follow us on Instagram at freebodypodcast, and share this pod with your friends. Every bit helps us get to more ears and continue this platform for telling incredible body stories. Happy New Year. I'll be here next week. Until then, stay well.